Like when they say raising is, is a full-time job, it, it pretty much is. <laughs> so if you as the CEO, you know, you, you need your team to work on everything else, but then you also need to work on building the relationships, getting investors mm -hmm. on board, pitching. And then also as you move towards the pitching stages, it, I, I found it's not just the first pitch. You, you, mm. We've had um, meetings with some VCs where it's been three, four, uh, yeah. sometimes as, as, as much as, uh, you know, six or seven meetings. Hello and welcome to another episode of Good For Profit. I am Mo, your host, and today's guest with us is also Mo. He is Mo Benismail, CEO and co-founder at Root Connect. They are the Google Analytics of physical spaces. Mo and I go back quite some years. We've known each other for a little while now. Um, I know that he's been pouring his heart and soul into this startup and it's so great to see it go from success to success. And I cannot wait for us to dive into the conversation we have lined up with us today. We talk about many things relating to the startup, uh, the journey he's been through with his team, as well as how the technologies can be used, like analytical technologies can be used uh, to help track things like emissions from traffic data and so on and so forth. So pretty interesting stuff. So let's dive right into it and I'll see you there. So Mo, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Very happy to have you on board. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on board and very much looking forward to it. Absolutely, yeah, me too, me too. It's, it's been, we've been trying to get this going for a while now. I think uh, been planned for a couple of weeks. And uh, you've made your journey all the way here from from a whole other, another city. So thanks for making it all the way. Yeah, no, really appreciate <laughs> it. It was, uh, you know, the moment you said that there was the opportunity to actually come in and do this in a, in a space, I just wanted to check it out as well and see absolutely. what that'll look like. And it's absolutely amazing. And, and so I'm very excited to be here. That's awesome. So you're in London at the moment, obviously. You're, you're originally from Cardiff. Yeah. There, but you're in London at the moment um, to do some things around the business you're working on, which we're going to dig into a little bit more later as well. Um, but the opening question that I like to kind of start with uh, is a bit, sort of a bit of a cliche question to ask, but I like to ask it anyway. Um, and it's what what motivates you? What's the thing that sort of gets you out of bed in the morning and, and, and that keeps you going despite, you know, coming over many hurdles, as I can imagine, with your uh, business? Oh, very interesting. Yeah. What 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 is it? Like, that is a very hard question. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is it like motivations about life? Is it motivations about business? Is it, you it, know... It, 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 yeah, it, I mean, it could be a bunch of things, right? Because it, I say, what is the one thing? But you're right, it, it could be a bunch of things. So it could be about some business things that motivate you. There could be changes you want to see in the world. It could be really anything. But sort of, what are some of the things that kind of really motivate you to just keep going and, and, and get up and give it your best every day kind of thing? Yeah, so for me, I think there's a, a number of things. I think it's the experience of going progressing through a journey with other people i think that's really nice like just the experience of it is is fantastic and making some really good friend, friends along the way um and then just building something that, that that's so good so out there you know that that can i mean this is probably cliche but you know make some sort of impact but at the same time so that you could be comfortable i guess in life so that that mm. is um one of the things i would say that just keeps you going really the financial freedom the yeah that's one well yeah exactly that's one sure. huge element i think um especially as, uh, over the past year and a half two years we, we've seen so many changes happen mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and and so yeah f some sort of freedom to just be able to do what you want to do and pursue sure. what you want to do i think that's one element of it um and then doing that with you know with with friends with people that you meet and you know there, there's so many amazing people when when you go out there and I think yeah. those experiences are just amazing. Wow, that's incredible. So very very much driven by the the people you meet and the networks that you make through it, but also you know you're building something that in the future will have a lot of positive returns for you as as well. Yeah, excellent. And so your company uh, Root Connect. So the, the, this is this is what the main the main thing that kind of with the theme we want to talk around today. Um, so I understand you started it around 2018. Yes. Officially, right? Yeah. And did it start as a project before you went into having it as sort of an official thing? So it, it actually started as a response to a challenge during university. So I'd taken ah. part in the Telegraph STEM Awards okay. all the way back in 2016. A anyone 
at university doing undergraduates um, study should look at this competition. I, I, I don't know um, how it's currently going on now with, with COVID, but it, you know when, when we, we first started at it and it, it really started to grow year on year, okay. there's a grand prize of £25,000. Uh-huh. And if you get to the finals, you win the pitching event, um, you, you, you get that amazing prize. Uh, and uh, as a university student, you know, who, who wouldn't want, want yeah, of course. a five-figure sum? So... Um, <laughs> That was, and essentially they ran six challenges, each sponsored by uh, a different engineering or scientific background. So, you know, you had an automotive challenge, you had a, a building environment challenge, and me being a civil engineer in my background, I always gravitated towards the uh, building environment. Okay. And uh, in one year, in 2016, mm-hmm. I applied, got as far with my idea of looking at augmented reality in construction got as far as the semi-finals. So, you know, they have thousands of applicants and um, each of the uh, sponsor wow. companies have um, uh, to pick five semi-finalists. And then wow. you go to pitch to those sponsors and uh, the winner picked from the sponsor then goes to the final. And then you have a final of, of the six candidates uh, and wow. then the final wins the final prize. So it's, it's, it's all these finals. A lot of loops to jump through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in 2016, uh-huh. I got to the semifinals, didn't make it any further. Okay. And in 2017, there was a challenge around the smart city. You know, how can we build uh, a solution or a technical solution that can uh, make our environment smarter? And I looked at solution around vehicle detections and what could we do to help improve efficiencies in our road network. Brilliant. Um, and started, you know, I, I had the understanding and the experience from the year before where I got to the semifinal. So I knew how to put, an, uh, you know, a, a consistent application together that could hopefully get me to the semifinal stage and then learn my lessons from last time around to put together a, a compelling pitch. It was like a, a five minute pitch, I think. And you know, it took about 10 hours to really get the presentation wow. together. It, wow. And honestly, yeah, th- that, that's the theme that just continues even in, even now to sales okay. decks, pitch decks. It really takes hours and hours to get something that... That looks really good, portrays the points very, very sort of, kind of like uh, clearly. Yes, and, exactly. And actually sells the company and the concept that you're trying yeah, to do. Yeah, it needs to wow. look good. It, it, it really okay. does. And and sometimes that, that might mean... Well, at th- that time I had some intricate animations okay um because in person having those animations really help nowadays with covid i think animations are quite stuttery on on video so you really uh-huh. have to know what 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 to go for wow so I, I i yeah i went through you went quite deep into this by the by the sound of it you sort of <laughs> you, dug, you dug quite a lot into it oh absolutely yeah so yeah. you know and, and and the idea at the time I'd, I'd i'd looked into was putting these what was called piezoelectric sensors basically okay. like pressure sensors sure um anytime they you know they get triggered by pressure essentially and okay. generate some sort of electricity and then that can give you data about vehicle movements turns out that's actually a thing in in, in roads anyway okay um, but wow. the, the idea still stood that um sure. you know i wanted to analyze what traffic movements were like so that we could affect um the traffic lights in a way that could help improve okay. uh, the efficiency uh, and then it also help reduce either air pollution um, or at the same time energy use. Because now as we're moving towards electric vehicles, sure. you know, there's the argument that it, it doesn't really matter so much now, although it'll probably still take a decade or, or two. So well, we still I, need efficiency absolutely. improvements. Um, well, well but, I mean, also the, <clears throat> excuse me, um, also the more efficient the cars become, the better it will, well, the longer the battery will last and exactly. the you'll use, yeah. the better the battery life and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it, it's not, I think there's a... Yeah, it, it applies to electric vehicles yeah, just exactly, as much. Exactly, yeah. um, so so uh, that's where the idea was born effectively, right? Exactly, that's, yeah. Okay, so that was so. in 2017, yep. got to the semifinals, they loved it, got to the finals. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get to the very end, but there was a really strong cohort you know, make, make some good friends along the way and, and they were very awesome. So okay. um, just the experience of actually getting to the final dinner, I think that was just as good as the final prize in, in some ways. Wow. Um, I really enjoyed wow. that because that was, a, yeah, that, that was... Um, and you built a lot of connections though, I imagine as well, that are probably helping you to this day. With yeah, so so that actually so. as part of being in the finals, uh, yeah. they provided uh, support and mentorship um, okay. uh, with, you know, really experienced IP lawyer to help take the idea forward. And so... As I was then graduating and continued uh, a bit with the PhD, I was on the side also continuing the idea to see how far I could take it. Um, And that's when I decided to officially 
launch it because at one point, um, you know, it's probably the third item in my in my uh, priority list. But all of a sudden, I started to see some interesting traction behind it, um, invitations to certain accelerators. Okay. Um, and this one was to Dubai. And so, wow. you know, it looked really serious. And yeah, so, wow. I, yeah, so uh, you know, if, if, if that much interest is going behind it, I should probably look into it and, and take it a bit more seriously. Um, it sounds very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, so this was still back in 2017. It was all part of the. This is now 2018. From, okay, yeah. right. And this, and and the whole thing that led to it was the competition that was run by the university, and that's nationwide, right? That's not the, just... yeah, it was by the Telegraph. By the Telegraph. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So Perfect. they they ran it for universities. Okay. So anyone you know at any university in in the UK could apply. And how did you find out about that competition? It must have been some sort of email or newsletter. You have so, to really so look read out. your emails, right? Yeah, so, okay. read your emails because sometimes you see these things and, and uh, you think they're spams or like yeah. you know ten thousand pound prize, twenty five thousand pound prize, and you know I think those ones are probably real. Okay, <laughs> I think there's this adage. If that, it's a million, maybe not. But if it's twenty five k, then maybe yes. Maybe yeah. Sure. So so wow. yeah, I mean um, yeah, just look at uh, and, and actually maybe after maybe sorry, it's too many maybes, but uh, I mean after hearing this sort of podcast. Look into any competitions, just Google them and, and see if there's competitions in your areas because there's bound to be some kind of competition out there, particularly in the oh. UK, where you can submit ideas or thoughts and and, and pitch for them and mm -hmm. then get prizes at the end for them. And, and there's so many out there. And, and did you have the idea for the business in mind back then or was it just sort of, I'm interested in this area, in this field and there's a competition? Hell, why not? I'm going to apply and see where it goes. The second one, yeah, exactly. So one, okay. it, it was you know, there's this competition. I actually wasn't sure whether to do something around rows or whether to do something around the buildings themselves and, and make it more efficient within the building and decided to settle on the road side of things because that was very prominent as we were looking at autonomous vehicles as mm. well. So building out the vision, um, it was actually, you know, by the end of this 10, 20 year play, you could coordinate autonomous vehicles to really maximize efficiency in our road network. Okay. Um, and so... That is how the concept started. Um, okay. It had, obviously, before that, uh, benefits to other elements like coordinating emergency vehicles, sure. uh, reducing pollution by uh, prioritizing public transport. And that's the idea that I then took to, to the accelerator. Right, um, right, I see. But I, I learned, you know, had a lot of lessons from the accelerator. We were a very young startup, actually, the youngest going into it. Wow. Um, I mean, you'd only been around for a year at the time, and no, even you. five months. Wow. Yeah. So officially. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and they flew you out to Dubai, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so it all sounded like Do you a, want scam. To us a bit more about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it all sounded like Cause, a scam because <laughs> all the correspondence was through a Google email. So. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, it, it ah, was uh, interesting. very interesting, um, and the. <laughs> I, I tried to look online into it as well because at that point we were the fifth cohort, but I couldn't find much information about the previous cohorts. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you get this... Uh, Very secretive. That yeah. A personal email from a Gmail account messaging you. I mean, I mean, it takes the, a leap of faith. It does, yeah. Well, on with that. <laughs> there's a funny story behind that because I then uh, founder, um, co-founder um, at the time, uh, ex-military. So he, uh -huh. he booked his flight sooner than mine. Okay. So I, I thought, well, he, he can find out first. Let me know if, if anything's <laughs> gone wrong. And since he's, he's ex-military, so, you know, he, yeah, he'll have it, a bit of insight. He'll be able to take care of himself. <laughs> let, let us know if the actual hotel was real. It was. Okay. So, you know, okay. thank, two, thank two thank months for that. stay. And, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So so you're out in Dubai for two months? Uh, yes. Wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, wow. it was a really um, well-funded like accelerator because it was by the government, right? Brilliant. So um, okay. they, they're really keen on bringing ideas and concepts uh to dubai and look at implementing them across their government entities so we Excellent. were looking at dubai police uh but the accelerator had i think 11 or 12 entities you had you know the water wow. entity education and so it was a really good wow. mix of uh other companies that we could work with and and, and see um and yeah uh, learn lessons from so for for me that was absolutely amazing that is brilliant. And at the time, did you already have your um, co-founders uh, before the accelerator? Yeah. Or, so, or so initially, because um, from my end, it was quite um, complex. Sure. Because um, uh, so there we had uh, two co-founders, mm -hmm. uh, one with electrical and electronic engineering background, another mm -hmm. with uh, computer science. 
Um, and did, and did you meet them all through university, through local yeah ev- meetups? Ev- what, what was the for mine? Ev- everyone I'd met um, was through the university. So we'd okay. either worked on projects together, um, or I'd pitched at a university, uh, either gathering or, or some sort of again another prize. So there was a university <laughs> prize for like three grand, and so I, I pitched <laughs> sure. for that, and that's how I met one of the co-founders there. Brilliant. Um, the others I'd met through the uh, formula student uh-huh. autonomous. Uh, program that we were looking at running so oh, i'd been part of cardiff racing uh, for a few years prior to that but i could see that the direction that the competition was taking was that it would introduce autonomous uh, self-driving racing vehicles essentially okay. and so i wanted to create a team to get ahead of the curve uh, the competition had already started in germany i knew it was going to come to the uk at some Brilliant. point it did come to the uk a year later okay, so wow. you know we had a team ready well timed yeah, yeah very very well timed so I, I was really happy that we could get a team together but that's where i met the other co-founders was okay. through that so program. you'd work together on other projects first you kind of got to know each other there you could tell you could work together and so on and so forth and then you sort of exactly spoke to them about yeah this idea we, we'd gone our own separate ways in you know for, for a year but uh-huh. then came together again after after that so um yeah, went out to Dubai. That was a really good experience also to learn from some of the other experienced startups sure. that were way ahead of us. Um and then from there, you know, had some lessons about uh how to pivot because even though the concept itself uh, was great in terms of uh reducing emergency response times, some of the challenges uh pointed in our direction were how could we prove that it wouldn't adversely affect the rest of the network and mm. the rest of the traffic situation? And so we still had a lot of work to do before we could think this sort of big element. And, and actually, this is part of this book, The Amazon Way on I, IoT. Uh-huh. Um, one of the lessons is is think big, but start small. Right. So, you know, how could you break it down to start on a, on a very small level uh, and then work your way towards that big vision? So sure. came out of that thinking, right, you know, Rather than needing this entire network effect where you instantly plop all the infrastructure you need into a city, which actually China did in one of their cities, and they sh- they've shown that wow. doing that c- helped reduce emergency response times by fifty percent. Wow! Uh, that's, so that's that's a lot. It's, it's huge. Very high. It's wow. very high. Yeah, and and so you know we can work towards that goal, sure. but perhaps start a bit smaller by doing it on a junction. Uh, by and, and it needs to be on a government level, right? If you're gonna, because because uh, essentially what you're doing is you're putting sensors into roads and into different places around where where it's important to have those sensors. I suppose. Yeah. They track traffic, and then based on that data, you do a bit of magic and. Yeah, so that's one element to it. But actually, there there are uh, private arms that are interested also in in traffic data. So that was uh-huh. for us another way that we could look into getting into the market, um, okay. which was. Uh, looking at transport surveyors, looking at consultancies, because anytime you have development projects, you need to understand vehicle and pedestrian flow movements. Okay. And right now we're seeing a heavy push mm. towards active travel and sustainable modes of travel uh, and introducing safe spaces for cyclists, uh, e-scooters and, sure. and the like, sure. um, as well as pedestrians, of course. So uh, we're seeing a lot of cycleway schemes popping up. Um, and so really, we do need to understand how that space is being used and, and what are the safety levels like. And so the other element is that transport surveyors are also interested in analyzing uh, that, that road space. And that's another way for us to get in immediately into the market, uh, demonstrate our case studies, demonstrate sure. our proof points, and then build our way um, as, as, as we get those proof points. And it's us. easier to work with the private side than it is to work with the... Yeah, with the government entities, right? The government entities, it takes time. You have to build sure. a relationship. You have uh-huh. to demonstrate, you know, competence, uh, and and of course, because it's it's public money. So from their side, um, they they're not going to necessarily risk putting funds and public funds into uh, startups, perhaps, if you don't have the backing behind you. And you know, the whole thing from our side is building that backing for us. And so right. we managed to do that through the accelerators, uh, through case studies like you can start trials you can start pilots and through that you build that credibility for for your startup brilliant and then you use that sort of headway to then go to governments and say look we've we've got the backing we've got the contracts in place proof of concept is there essentially the risk you're taking is actually not that big because it's been proven effectively exactly brilliant and competitions played quite a big role for you there as i understand so not just working with early companies or trying to get win early contracts 
work, but working, going through competitions, that was that was one of the really big things for you. Yes, yeah, really. that, that really helped. I, I think you can only do that for so much because I probably have a bad habit habit of just doing competitions and <laughs> too many and, competitions. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, you know, th there is a limit. Pareto uh, efficiency kind of thing. Yeah, just like do do the bit that will really give you the most. I, I think outcome. really what I've actually learned over the past two to three years is the focus should be on getting customers right. and getting input from those customers um because those uh, you know they, they're going to be the ones that actually pay for your products and sure. for your solution and and they have the pain points okay um and so even though i'd been trying to do that through the competitions it's not until someone actually pays for it that your your that it is a proof point for you that you are going in the right direction okay. um and i you know we we still need to get towards that point and we're very close because Part of the element for us is that we're working on essentially on a, on, on a deep tech. Well, not not so much deep tech, but it's, it's computer vision mm. analytics and a lot of machine learning. So sure. we had to work on the back end uh, for a, a year lot first before we could actually get anywhere. Yes, yeah. So yeah, we had to work on that for a year to year and a half before we had that ready to demonstrate. Sure. And as soon as we started to demonstrate that, get a demo together, which is the next step if if you're looking to get investment into mm. the company as well as the customers on board, is is having a physical demo. That um, I, when I say physical, like a demo this in front of you could be on a computer, um, right, right? You can demonstrate it, but having some kind but of a demo, working prototype, a working prototype, like, yeah. exactly, yeah. And, right. and that's really important to, to build, even if it takes you, you know, two, three weeks or, or just build something in that time sure. to demonstrate how it would look like. Mm. Um, and that gets people really interesting, interested because that's something tangible in front of them. Brilliant. Okay, so I'm, I'm really enjoying this journey we're kind of walking through to get from how it all came about to begin with. You sort of, it was a project while you were at university and then working all the way through to applying to competitions. It becomes a bit more serious. You've got co-founders on board and so on and so forth. And I want to sort of carry on with this journey until it's kind of to get to where we are now and then maybe I'll, I'll dig a bit more in some of the challenges you had on the way and so on and so forth. So you finished the Dubai Accelerator with your co-founders and then you applied to some more competitions after that, came back to London, uh, sorry, to Cardiff. Yeah. Right, to Cardiff, Cardiff yeah. yeah. And and then maybe can carry on talking us through the journey, so up to where you are now essentially with the, with the startup. Yeah, absolutely. So I then started applying to grant application because i did also start looking for investors uh -huh. to try to take the idea forward and at that point we were still very early stage now i, I look back at those presentations i still think yeah that that, <laughs> that was not the greatest of i mean that's a good thing it means you're learning right oh, absolutely. you're evolving so yeah 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 so um tried those pitches i got a lot of advice to actually apply for government grants uh-huh so I did those applications, uh, got, you know, uh, there was a grant for £5,000 to get some support. And then there was a bigger one for £30,000. So that really helped us take things forward. Um, and then COVID hit straight away. So, uh, yeah, we were in the middle of um, working on on the, that sort of solution. And actually, at, by that point, we've pivoted away from these piezoelectric sensors to uh, looking at utilizing LiDAR, and that's what we got support for the grant. Sorry, um, could you maybe just elaborate a little bit more on what that is for? Our, our so LiDAR is essentially, uh, if you know radar, mm -hmm. uh, but with lasers. So you, you ping out a laser, it bounces back, and that tells you, you know, uh, distance distance to okay, sure. an object that it hit. Sure. And um, from that, we could then tell what the vehicle flow was like underneath the road. So rather than uh -huh. digging into the roads to put sensors, Let's put sensors above the road so that we can retrofit it Brilliant. to existing sensors, uh, to existing infrastructure. Sorry, mm -hmm. uh, make it much more cost effective to uh, upgrade uh, either road networks uh, or uh, other networks that were using tech that uh, were put into the road, um, and that's just really costly to dig up and and, and maintain. Um, Brilliant. And yeah, so, makes sense. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So we moved to lidar, and then that was what we were working on in the grant and. Part of the way that we would then look at validating the LiDAR was by using cameras. Mm. And so we sort of came to the conclusion by the end of that, you know, let's, why not drop the LiDAR element and just do the camera? And just use the cameras. Because right. there's so many, there's about 770 million cameras worldwide. And you can tap into that footage. You could tap into that resource. Um, right. You know, uh, so long as you are compliant with uh, GDPR and sure. privacy. Um, and that's something that we wanted to ensure that you know, we, we would be compliant with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so started developing algorithms for analyzing movements anonymously across multiple cameras. Brilliant. 
Um, so that's where we came to in terms of the technical okay. background. Um, and yeah. So, so building the back end, building the software that would be able to take that data and, and bring something useful out of it, which, as you said, is deep tech, machine learning, building some crazy algorithms exactly. that, that can really learn yeah. as they go along as well and, and figure out what's going on. And then off the back of that, build a SaaS platform. So software as a service Brilliant. that customers can access you know, regularly and, and, and start building a, a startup that, that can scale. Wow, it's really interesting how you've gone through all those ideas and sort of they develop over time. Your earlier prototypes were, they require a lot of heavy work to go in to actually get them put into our, you know the infrastructure and so on. But over time, you sort of constantly improve and you kept going. So it took you about three years-ish, three and a half years, three to four years, let's say, to get to this point now. Yes, right? three, three years. I would say, yeah, three years because then okay. we started pitching for the third time uh-huh. as you know so i i i've had rounds of pitching uh first time around wasn't so great second time around was better but still not as great uh third time around we started to hit the mark um in terms of our messaging and getting our messaging across um and particularly regulation timing i think that plays a really huge part in- i mean in, in your in your area absolutely so so some businesses don't have to worry too much about that but it's in here where there's a lot of it's a much bigger thing. It's a sort of, you know, it's something that's ultimately really guided by the government. Uh, it's not just, for example, like creating an app that's a DTC app like TikTok or something. There, there's there's a huge element of what is the government willing to invest in to actually get this thing going, right? Yeah, yeah I think that's one element of it. I think uh-huh. the other element is also what is the government going against. Uh-huh. So for us, we started to notice um, Uh, Governments, particularly in the West, uh, so in the US, in the UK, uh, actually even parts of Europe, Mm. looking at banning facial recognition technology um, Mm -hmm. or where that technology was uh, becoming uh, unlawful in uh, court judgments. Right. So we were seeing examples of that. And so we could incorporate that into our messaging because our solution was Uh completely anonymized from the get-go. And so we don't look at collecting, you know, private data or biometric data about a person we're just interested in what are the actual movements like so that we can improve that space or improve the efficiency in that space and and then with that you can go perhaps beyond vehicles and and into other areas too i suppose oh exactly yeah so i mean you know we're we're applying this primarily to transport but Mm -hmm. this applies to so many uh other domains and yeah retail uh, event management um yeah everything really wow it's very powerful. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, you know, in, in that regards, what, what is the vision of, of the company is, yes. is sort of to become this number one smart city analytics provider. Um, we're nowhere near there yet, <laughs> um, but it is a case of uh, building towards that because, you know, the, the what's different for us is rather than us coming at a specific technological solution, we actually have a broad technology that can be applicable to so many areas Mm. and so if you can start to bring together all these different use cases in such a way you can start to make it much more cost effective as a solution to um whoever's willing to adopt this in a city space brilliant so so it really is it's a much bigger piece here then um and and the SaaS play makes a lot of sense for you because you can you know yeah it works everywhere across the board you can get the big government contracts with that but you can also get the sort of more private retailers and so on and so forth exactly brilliant so it's taken you quite a while to get there uh, to where you are now and and you're still a team of uh, the three co-founders at the moment or that's right yeah okay brilliant um, any any exciting news? Anything uh, any anything cool right now that's happening? Yeah, I would have loved to actually have really exciting news because we're actually in the <laughs> middle of um, an, an investment round. Brilliant. And, okay. uh, it, you know, it's, it's been in the making now for three to four months. Okay. And usually these things take so much time. Yes. Um, More so than people realize. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really. And right now, in terms of our funding round, so we initially were targeting five hundred thousand in total mm-hmm. um one of our vcs recommended that we actually it, particularly in our space where sales cycles can be a bit long mm-hmm. uh, rather than work towards a 12-month runway why not go for an 18-month runway so we then pushed our target up to uh, 720k mm-hmm. uh managed to achieve that at the moment and okay. then we're oversubscribed so we decided to overfund brilliant but right now i still can't go into too much depth because sure. we're in the legal right discussions of it right. you know of um there, there's a number of things that we need to do on on the legal perspective so making sure that we get that through and then after that 
perhaps we'll look at the actual details of that's incredible yeah. congratulations that's Thank really, you. really really great news and yeah looking forward to hearing more in the future when when everything's closed and done and and, and you've got that sorted yeah and actual focus on the business building side yeah, of things and absolutely. of course then future rounds and so getting the investor relationships built um ahead of time for that as well of course of course so you've got a plan ahead for the next round as soon as this round is over almost yeah brilliant and this is really useful for, for anyone who's listening to sort of like a first-time founder and, or thinking about starting their own business, right? Because they can kind of just get to understand on, on more of a casual level what sort of things actually go into building a startup and how sometimes it's, you know, I think people sometimes build in their minds this idea, and I, I definitely did this myself, that it's very systematic, that you can really like, you know, methodically go after starting a company or whatever, but I think what you realize, as you see more and more examples, is that it's a lot more messy than than, than you think it will be. And it's and it's you know it's like there are some timeless lessons and things you can apply. But at the same time, like to have a specific system that you can go through bit by bit and build a specific company, it doesn't quite work just like that. There's there's a lot of decisions you have to make on a, on a regular basis that you might not have anticipated ever having to make. Yeah, right. I think, you, you know, I think what can help is actually having signposts. Uh -huh. So that that can, you know, to say, right, get customers on board, number one. Yep. Um, because traction is what is going to interest investors, if you're even looking for investors. Actually, sometimes the best way of running the business is to bootstrap completely and generate profits from the revenue and feed that back into the company and, and just grow organically. And so if you can actually avoid having to seek external investment, that's probably your best course of action. Mm. Um, but of, of course, in in some businesses, that's not feasible because you really do need to build a huge team to succeed. And that requires that initial startup capital. Yeah, absolutely. To and also, like, I think today there is a certain standard that people expect from any new company. So... I, th I think you can get away with a bit less now, even from example, from an, from the side of like UI or UX, you could get away with building something really scrappy, maybe like 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Now there's a certain, there's a bit the baseline of how good it has to be before it can be regarded as like a potential option for other companies. Yes, MVP all the way, make it as scrappy as possible and put it out there, but it has to be something that's usable by the prospective customer. And that baseline seems to be sort of going up bit by bit every, as time goes by, because people get more and more used to incredibly smart tech and really nice user experience from apps they use. And so there is almost this expectation that actually, I'm not gonna switch over if it's gonna only gonna be like, you know, 1.5 times better than what I have. Give me something that's 5X better, then I'll consider it kind of thing. Um, so if, if, if you can do that, maybe the UI and the UX can suffer a little bit, that's not a problem. But again, there has to be that baseline of it's good enough for me to actually consider it as a prospective customer. And that's a really important thing, I think, for, for startups to consider, because like, you know, that investment can help then in that case. But what is what seems to me a little bit unusual about what you're doing is that you're going, so is this your first, I mean, you've got grants already, right? But this is officially, would you say your first round, your seed, or, or have yeah, you raised? Yeah, so, so I, it's complicated. I was hoping it would all be in one round, but right. we had <laughs> one VC that was really keen to come in very early on. Yeah. Um, okay. This was a few, few months ago. Um, and actually, so th there's elements when you come to thinking about your startup, especially around tax breaks for investors, sure. uh, particularly around SEIS and EIS schemes. So Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme and the Enterprise Investment Scheme. Which definitely, if you don't know what those are, just, just type it into Google, look into it because they, they are, you know, they're very much expected by investors, but also they, they'll help you massively and, and just it will make you pitch better. Absolutely. And actually getting... Uh, government approval but then at the same time to get government approval you need to have an interest investor so there's a, this sort of uh, chicken and <laughs> chicken egg, egg situation scenario, yeah. yeah and and the other element as well which is a big lesson that I learned and so I, I was actually given uh, a wrong path by the conversations from the very early investors like two three years ago right. who said go for grants which is that grants eat up into de minimis funding and mm -hmm. your SEIS remaining amount also includes the de minimis grant funding. So you have limits oh, on SEIS. Okay. So there's a limit of 150,000, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, 150,000 pounds. And if you received any grants, that eats into your SEIS limit. Right. And so the remaining limit that an investor might be keen for is going to be less. Okay. Whereas if you get the SEIS first, yep. you can still hit your 
200,000 euros de minimi limit after that, and it doesn't go the other way around. And so actually... So get approval first before you even go for grants. Get, get, the, get investment first before grants, before or grants. get the very early investment. Okay, because Cause, cause this is what strikes me as a little bit odd, is that you're going for VCs straight away rather than going for angels. Is that partly why? Because they're more interested in EIS rather than SEIS or because- Some some VCs are also interested in SEIS. Very, you know, very early stage VCs, you can look them up. There's, um, uh, I think in the UK, probably 20, 30 of them okay. that, that you can message and, and pitch towards. Um, and then angels as well. But I think it, it, it is a very difficult- Balance. Some, it really depends on on where you are and how much capital you need. Because sometimes you can get an angel mm-hmm. that is, or, or a, you know, a syndicate of angels that can come in With very that. early on. Sure. You you might not need that much capital, mm. but the sort of capital that we were looking at, we did. You needed VC you, in, yeah. in there effectively. Fair, fair enough. Interesting. Okay, so so you this is where you are now. Great news. It's exciting. You've got initial traction uh, from from customers, right? You're you've sort of gone out there, tested your product, still building it, getting investment in. What have been some of the challenges on the way? What what have been maybe? Um, yeah, let's let's start with that. So you've already alluded into some of them. For example, like you know, making the the wrong turn at some point, going for grants because you were given that advice, but without the specific advice of how to go about it yeah um and actually it does it, it did help so you know we did have the the grants and actually that that process did help us okay. continue things forward so it wasn't necessarily to say that it was a bad thing sure um but just something to be mindful of when you make the decision okay brilliant and that's a very nice little gold nugget there for people uh but also maybe another lesson there is to just dig a bit more into what you're about to do yeah. do a bit more research into how how does that getting a grant does that affect me in some way Maybe like a small risk analysis, although you have a million and one things to do already anyway, and that's going to be hard to fit in, but it is what it is. Um, what have been some of the the biggest challenges that you've come across? Just thinking back from that earlier part of the journey where it was just a project starting out all the way to kind of where you are now. Yeah. For me, building tech is, what, what I've witnessed is that building tech is hard and it can be a bit more of a science than an engineering thing because hmm. you can't say, yeah, in six months, this is going to be completely ready and we can start hitting the stores. Uh, some, particularly in computer vision and our space, um, there's a lot to work with to try to get right. And so we tested that through accelerators and that's how we start to initially verify and validate that the technology we were building is going in the right direction. Um, and so when you're looking at building a hard tech startup uh, particularly that requires uh, you know science as, as a background uh, you need to find the right people first and foremost and right and, and actually for me f- building those relationships through university and especially at projects like autonomous racing vehicles was a really good way of, of finding that talent um and and so that's one element and the other element is that it will still take time um sometimes it's a case of you, you just can't predict when it'll be ready you just need to be able to work on it in in the background and perhaps at the same time drumming up interest getting a waiting list getting um a a demo together um and then as that's built really taking it forward with customers actually starting to test it and that's where we're um at in terms of with customers is actually putting it out there um and then working towards uh monetizing and actually Mm. getting um uh, working towards like then paid pilots and and, and paid projects that that's the ultimate ultimate okay. goal so it's more more sort of early traction now that's non paid for the time being but just getting those early customers in exactly right yeah. brilliant okay so sounds like another challenge to me then from all of that is time sounds like there's a lot to do yeah so if you're going to build a business uh <laughs> probably have savings or okay. don't quit your day <laughs> job just yet because it it takes a lot and i yeah i was probably really bad at that um okay in, in terms of managing that, um, I would say, yeah, it, it does drain more time than you actually think it would. And m- maybe the biggest thing that you need is persistence. Mm. I mean, I've probably been persisting at it for like three years and it's yeah. still, you know, now we're starting to see some inflection. of your labor. Yeah, the inflection yeah. point starting to happen, um, particularly around the conversations with customers and particularly around actually starting to get something out there that customers can use okay yeah 
Um, okay, so so persistence, uh, definitely something there. The time, just to be able to manage your time well. So could you tell us a bit more about how you did that yourself in terms of actually having money to live and survive as well as build the business? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd started freelancing on the side as well, um, although that wasn't bringing in as much because also COVID hit at the same time. And, so. and what did you freelance in? So for me, it was uh, presentation designs. Um, so it that makes was, a lot of sense. Make, yeah, exactly. you, went, you did go into a lot of detail in that. So yeah. yeah. So there we go. You can the skills <laughs> that you built. Yeah. You can perhaps consult in that or freelance in in that. So that yeah. that can be a really thing that uh, a thing that helps. I was teaching as well uh, at university, um, and then I'd also. Uh, freelance in uh, technical writing so uh-huh. be it scientific articles or you've done a lot of that anyway for your degree so might exactly make use out of that yeah so i'd had sure. an article published as part of my first year in phd so that was really nice and so i could use that experience and Brilliant. you know yeah okay i want to I jump into sacrifices so you mentioned phd yes um, are you, did you carry on with that? How so that? I, I'm, I was on interruptions of study. Okay. Um, so the university was really supportful in, okay. in that regard. Um, you know, they could see the potential for where I was taking things. Um, obviously, I've, I've probably, I don't know how far I'm, I've taken that because it, every year it would be a case of things are really getting interesting with the startup. Sure. Um, so you did like, you sort of push so, it back another year. Yeah. Okay. Um, but obviously that has its limits and... Uh, of course. The yeah, well, that's an ongoing thing right now, so I probably can't dive too much in, into the details. Of no, that. no, no, no problem. So I mean, you don't you don't have to. Um, but but it's just interesting because one of the things that I think is quite important to, to understand before you sort of, I, I mean, they, there's a bit of naivety that helps when oh, you're definitely. starting out because it's like you know you kind of you kind of don't want to know how how hard it might be and just just jump into it and get it done. Um, but at the same time, just to be ready to sacrifice some things that that you may need to. Um, and you know, other people, uh, other people we've sort of spoken with have mentioned things like, you know, social time, uh, sort of sacrificing some of that just to like work a little bit harder, a little bit more, other sacrifice sleep. Um, in your case, you could have carried on with your PhD, but decided, you know what, I'm going to put that on the side for now, just to sort of carry on, uh, with, with the yeah. startup. For, for me, I like sleep is super important. So I, there's no See, way that, I'm sacrificing <laughs> that. <laughs> there's no way. Okay. That's yeah. a very important element. Yeah. I mean, it's good that you know that. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, I think um, I, I read Why We Sleep, um, and and yeah, and ever since I don't actually read that. I sort of like looked into the. He had a course on Masterclass uh, that's basically exactly the same thing as the book, but it's Netflix style, so it's a bit just quicker to digest. Um, and it was uh, it was really interesting because. I've always looked at sleep and thought, nah, sleep doesn't matter. Like I'll sleep five hours and and it's okay. I can function. It's all good. And then when you actually start digging a bit more into the science, you realize, you know what? Sleep does really help. And ever since prioritizing sleep more, you start to notice a difference of sort of how you function in, in daily life. Definitely. It I really mean, I, I, I started using these apps, you know, that, that really help with, with the sleep to understand what sort of quality of sleep was I getting yep. and how many hours of sleep did it take for me to get there. So for me, I could... You know, the best sleep that I would get would be after eight hours and 40 minutes. It's a long time, but for me, yeah, like that would be almost like 99% quality. And then, you know, I could function below that if if Mm. needs be. So that could be as low as six hours, 40 minutes, you know, so that would be my minimum if I I needed it. If I go below that, I would know that I'm not going to have so much of a productive day the the day after. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually it's then 90 minute intervals between those numbers essentially for me okay um interesting and say you had a time machine another cliche question um say you had a time machine you could go back change one thing and in the earlier stages of of starting this out whether it was a project whatever it was even just the idea that you had and you could just change one thing what would that be oh that's very interesting You've put me on the spot. And, and you'd come back, so you don't have to go through it again. So it's a time machine where you can just go change it, come back kind of thing. Yeah. So I'd initially had this idea very early on to be in the road space mm-hmm. and um, work towards replacing the infrastructure in a way that is more efficient with the solution that we now have. Right. I'd pivoted into other areas and, you know, we were trying to... F- find a fit like a product market fit sure 
Um, and then we sort of circled back a year and a half <laughs> later on on this idea again. And actually, it, it's turning out, it, you know, that this is really the way we should be taking it forward. And either if I'd persisted in that area or found the right communication to achieve that, because mm-hmm. what ended up happening this year was that we got in on this program, actually at the end of last year, 2021, um, we got in on, on this program and that's when we started to get that conversation going again and actually speak to the right people. And that's when we found, yeah, actually, this was a huge fit. And I so wasn't. The, so the problem the first time around was that you were speaking to the wrong audience, but not necessarily that the idea was bad. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. So if you could go back, you'd, you'd try more audiences first before pivoting. Yeah. Some, it's, it's just finding the right decision makers because, it, oh, you know, yeah. the, the audience that we're looking at here is actually a huge one. And yeah. you, sometimes you find areas where they, you know, they, they almost own the market in a way. Mm. And it's actually finding the right people to speak in that, that are running those markets. And how did you go about that, finding those decision makers? So for us, it was um, uh, through, again, applying to more competitions. And <laughs> There's a recurring theme here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so more competitions and uh, through those competitions, getting grant projects again. Um, so uh, that, that, that's been the route that actually has, has been helping us. And actually, it's actually through that grant project that we were f- getting... Um, uh, workshop setup and mm-hmm. customer conversation setup uh, to understand the the problem and, and pain points. Okay. And actually, it was through that conversation with this particular uh, customer, like prospective customer or, or um, stakeholder, um, that we started to unravel that the problem that we'd initially looked at mm-hmm. is actually a, a real problem. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. Do you have a system for that at all? Like a process for, for those conversations and kind of doing that sort of thing? Or is it just as it comes up with just, yeah. just trying to ask the right questions? I, I think asking the right questions and there's books for that, like right. the mom tests. I sure. think that's a really huge element. Um, and the lean customer. Lean customer development. Development, that's another good book um, that, that has. Purple um, cover, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so those sort of books help because it, mm-hmm. it helps pro- provide a framework and a structure. I think in terms of looking at overall strategy, there's a number of things like the lean model canvas, sure. uh, the lean startup, and actually um, also blue ocean strategy. I think yeah. not many use that, but that is not, got not many use that. It, it's true. Um, yeah. Interesting. But I, I keep I keep seeing it more and more recently where, where people talk about the importance of a blue ocean strategy in a way. Yeah, it's how to differentiate like, yourself. And, and, and yeah. the, they provide a framework and a structure for mm. going about doing that. And um, it's how you analyze certain factors in all the other companies in, in a market space that you're looking to enter. And you sort of create the shapes of what those companies look like. And for you to differentiate, you just need to have a different shape. And I think that's really intuitive to Brilliant. follow. Brilliant. How much do you rely? Excuse me. How much do you rely on your intuition in Oof. business? Yeah, I think it's hard to say because if you just rely on intuition, you could be going down wrong paths. And and I'm not experienced enough to know what is the right way. You know what what is the right path to go down, and so. It's just experimenting and testing things out and and um, maybe having this naivety to it of and persistence to it as well mm. to just go down a, a particular thread and, and see where it takes just you. Just being hard-headed and saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to do this and I'm, I'm going to believe in myself with this thing. Yeah. And, and if it's my vision, it's my vision. If it's wrong, it's wrong. doesn't matter. I'm just going to yeah. kind of go with it and, and see where it takes me. Yeah, and, and I probably sometimes have a bad habit as well of like hedging my bets okay. with, with certain things. And actually sometimes as a startup, you do need to just focus on one particular thing. Sure. And so the way you would know to do that is when you start to get traction behind it. And I think mm-hmm. the biggest telltale traction is when you're starting to generate revenue for it. Brilliant. One of the final questions then, as we start sort of to wrap this up, um, what would you say has been your biggest strength that that's helped you along along the way yeah probably the biggest is being naively persistent okay <laughs> it's, it's uh sure. you know it's not applying to competitions 
<laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that too. Yeah, maybe that's part of the naivety, right? That, that, that you'd think you'd always win because sure. now we've got in on some programs where it's like the 1% that wow. got through. And, wow. you know, I've, I'd applied to numerous, I've, if I showed you a folder list, there's like sure. all these competitions I've entered God, and probably yeah. only got into uh, a good five of them and actually then three or four, you know, actually really got into the finals and, and made it through to, to the next stage of it. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes with, particularly with startups, it, it is a numbers game. Mm-hmm. And even with, again, going to speaking to investors, to p- prospective customers, you just have to go out there, perhaps cold call, do all these things and, and actually just put yourself out there and being naive to the process in that you just don't give up too early okay. uh, into it. Okay, brilliant. And is there anything else that you'd want to say to either first-time startup founders or to early-stage um, founders right now? Yeah, this is a difficult one. It's Because um, I thought, you know, coming into starting the startup, because I'd been doing well at university, doing well at the PhD, you know, that it would go smoothly with like, <laughs> yeah, this is what we do. I've got the grades. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it sure. just does not work that way at okay. all. It, um, it, it like, you know, you need to build something and you need to, it's more of the soft skills of selling and getting something out there and, and showing that it is, you know, you're building something that does tackle a pain point for people and they're really keen to adopt it. Okay. And I think going out there and in terms of solving a problem for for a particular niche or for, for, for particular people and actually building something as best as you can to achieve that um, is, is what I would take away from that rather than coming at it in terms of I'm going to build this thing and it's going to do this and this for me. It's mm-hmm. not really about you. It's about what are you doing for others? And then from that, you can really start to build something that others can get behind wow it's brilliant Mo thank you so much it's been really insightful conversation I've thoroughly enjoyed it thank Thanks. you for coming along today yeah thank you very and, much um, for the invitation sure we'll catch up again soon very much so awesome we hope that you liked the episode this podcast was sponsored by QFind a hiring platform that matches candidates with jobs and employers based on many factors that ensure longer term alignment it goes way beyond package and salaries and take into account much much more than that to ensure a happy uh, working environment for everybody to find out more about this podcast and to see further releases we'll be announcing them at the at QFinds.io Instagram page as well as on the qfinds.io website as well as from my own personal uh, Instagram page and my own personal LinkedIn. All information you need that we spoke about in the podcast or this information mentioned here will be mentioned below in the description. So take a look, visit those links and if you like anything you want to get in touch, uh, please do. And lastly, stay tuned for more. Have an amazing week ahead of you.